When I opened The Australian today, I read the story written by John Stensolt, who is the business journal with the Oz, talking about Craig Tiley's involvement in perhaps the premier tier of tennis and what it's going to look like going forward and the role that the Australian Open and Tennis Australia will have to play in it. I'm pleased to say John joins me on Summer Grandstand ABC Radio across the country. John, appreciate your time. Not a problem, Colin. Uh, it's, I mean, the whole the whole sporting landscape is fascinating, I'm sure, at the moment for a business journal. but can you just give us a, a brief overview as to what what is ahead of uh, of tennis at the moment? Well, look, I think you've got an esteemed uh, list of guests coming up, and they've all probably got their their opinions on this this one too. But yeah, look, tennis. Once you get past the Australian Open and the three other Grand Slams, and you know probably a couple of end of season tournaments, it's pretty hard to follow. There's Masters tournaments and there's different tiers of 500s and 250s and all sorts of convoluted things. So the idea which has been around a long, long time, right, is to try and fix this inverted commas and, you know, have some sort of a premier tier or a, or a top level where, you know, maybe a little bit like a Grand Prix circuit where you know that the drivers are going to be there, you know, or the, the top teams are going to be there for 14, 16, 18 races or whatever it is these days. If you do something similar in tennis where you know that, uh, you know, all the top the top players are, you know, guaranteed, uh, you know, about 14 tournaments a year, including the slams, uh, you know, it'd be a great thing for fans to be able to follow. Uh, you know, it probably also deals with a, you know, a developing situation where, yeah, in sport in in a lot of uh, circumstances where a lot of money is coming through from the Middle East and particularly Saudi Arabia, which is knocking on the door in tennis too now. So, wh- where does the Australian involvement come in? Obviously, we are. Yeah, the holders of one of the four slams, and Craig Tiley is obviously not just the tournament director, but the head of Tennis Australia as well. Does it mean that tennis is going to, you know, Tennis Australia as the governing body will become a stakeholder in this this proposed tour? Well, look, I mean, there's been a lot of work going on in the background on this in the last few months, and Craig Tiley, who, you know, let's face it, is I think he's one of the most innovative and uh, you know forward-looking you know, CEOs in sport, certainly and clearly in Australia, definitely in tennis. And I think Craig, uh, you know, realises that Australia, you know, given that Grand Slam status, needs to be part of any action that does take place. I think he's been a, a driving force behind it. A lot of talks that have happened, you know, in, in Grand Slams overseas in recent months and, and other tournaments. And, you know, if the Australian Open and Tennis Australia can play some sort of a role in this, uh, you know, it, it, it does a couple of things. It really cements, you know, the future of tennis on a global scale. It it means that Australia is intimately involved uh, and, you know, can reap the rewards financially, you know, off the court, certainly on it as well. You know, it gives them a seat at the table. And also, I think, uh, you know, importantly, uh, you know, helps probably, uh, you know, cement the future of something like the United Cup, which has, um, you know, been, uh, you know, getting the, well, getting January off to a start in the last few weeks before we head here to Melbourne for the Australian Open. There's been noise that uh, you know, Saudi Arabia wants a tournament, uh, you know, in January. Uh, that would, you know, potentially, given the money that Saudi Arabia has on offer in sport, you know, could decimate something like that. That's really, really starting to get off its on its feet now. Uh, even if if they could, uh, you know, do some sort of a, a deal, and you know, maybe Saudi Arabia moves to a little bit later in the year, then I think, uh, you know, it, it achieves a lot of those goals. But uh, tennis is a, is a complex structure, and nothing is easy, and there's certainly nothing concrete in all this yet. Uh, I'm fascinated how attitudes have changed, perhaps in the sporting landscape, which is obviously where uh, where I operate in, in my job uh, around Saudi Arabia and the, and the PIF. So you look at obviously when the Live Tour came along, and there were governments like you know, Victoria and New South Wales that said, "Look, we don't want anything to do with Live." Uh, South Australia decided to take it on board. It feels like, yeah, even when you ask yeah, general sports fans that their attitudes have changed a lot on that front in the past eighteen months or so. Do you get the feeling that Tennis Australia are happy to be business partners with Saudi Arabia and their public? investment fund 
Oh, look, I think um, you know someone like Tylee probably stopped short of saying that exactly, but he did say that you know any investment that uh, you know wants to come into a spot like this is generally a good thing. So yeah, you're right. At the end of the day, money talks, doesn't it? I mean, you know, as unsavoury as that might sound, I mean, it's just unfortunately it's the uh, you know it's the way it is. I mean, the Australian Open is a huge financial behemoth now for a whole range of factors, you know, on the court and off it. I mean, it, it generates a lot of money. There's a lot of money in sport. Full stop. So uh, you know, people want to want a slice of that action so to speak. So I'm not terribly surprised. I mean, I might be cynical about it and you might share that cynicism, but uh, you know, I don't think anyone would be surprised by it. The other thing which jumped off the page to me was the figures that you quoted around revenue share in tennis. So it probably didn't surprise me in terms of you know, what we're used to in sports like the AFL, for example, where the players you know, get a quarter of the revenue or whatever it may be you know, in and around those figures in the, the mid-20%. But it is out of step in what happens in you know, the major American team sports, for example, where there is private ownership. It's you know, the, the revenue share is, is pretty much 50-50 between the players and uh, the owners. Um, do, do you think that will change going forward in tennis, given the I think the number that you quoted was at the moment the players only receive about 25%? Yeah, look, I think that's certainly something that's it's long exercised the, the minds of players. You know, you, you you read these stories, the perennial stories that come up of you know people that rank just outside the top 100, how much they, how little they earn, you know, compared to the so you know the, a similar ranked player in golf, for example, which is uh, you know a lot of money going into that even even before live. So I mean that you know that is a, that, that's an ongoing issue for tennis, and clearly players have been agitating about that for a long time without anything particularly changing. Uh, I think it's yeah, something that you know they'd, they'd love to get fixed or love to see you know be a little bit different. So in that way, I think it's ripe for the taking for you know for outside investment to come in and say, hey, we can play, we can pay you know lower ranked players more. You know you can you can you can share a a bigger slice of a much bigger pie here, and you know and I think the players would be certainly interested in that. John Stensolt with me from uh, the Australian. You're a, you're a business journal, John, but you do deal with um, you know, sport as a, as a major part of, of what you do. Um, what sport at the moment particularly fascinates you with all of this changing so much in the world and uh, the, the business structure? Is there one in particular where you think, damn, I'm, I'm fascinated to see where that ends up in the next five or ten years? Yeah, I think tennis is clearly one of those. You know, cycling could be one too, right? It's a, it's a, um on one, uh, you know, he sort of thinks, well, how come, you know, the riders, uh, you know, don't all compete in the, you know, the three biggest tours and other other big events. I mean, I know that there's, you know, physical and, uh, you know, and other sort of scheduling issues with that, but you just sort of, you want, you look at any of those sports where maybe you want to see, you know, as a fan, you want to see the top athletes in the, the, the biggest events, you know, every year, year in, year out. So, Look, I think I think those are the probably the two big ones. I, you know, I'm fascinated to see if anything happens in tennis. You know, if anything happens, I think there's still a big if uh, with that because it's just such you know a complex structure. There's private equity involved with the WTA. There's you know there's billionaires that own tournaments in the US. There's all sorts of you know permutations to that. Look, you know, and you're right. Here we are in Australia with uh, you know with the AFL and uh, <laughs> the NRL to an extent. You know, you know, operating on pretty socialistic um, you know uh, you know revenue sharing agreements and things like that. So it does sort of feel a bit step out of step with the rest of the world. But you know, maybe that's a good thing. Uh, yeah, it's a, there's never a dull moment when it comes to the business of sport. Uh, but I think you know we all enjoy what happens on on the field. But uh, some of us like to follow what happens to offer as well. Yes, absolutely. Uh, John, your insights and your time is always greatly appreciated. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking time for us today. Thanks, Colin.